it's a common misconception to think that workplace harmony is about being nice and it's not about being nice it's about being constructive and professional this is bev and i'm the host of people at work today People at Work is a podcast brought to you by Jostle, the creator of an employee intranet. And with our technology, we're hoping to help people plug into things that matter to them at work. And with things like our podcast, we're also hoping to have conversations with people all around the world who are passionate about making work better for everybody at work. So I'm really delighted to welcome our guest today, Catherine Gillespie. Uh, Catherine is a leader in the field of workplace conflict resolution and culture change. She has a background in education and employee relations and specializes in working with high conflict personalities and resolving high conflict situations. So related to workplace conflict is workplace harmony. And Catherine is here today to talk about what that is and how we achieve it. So I've never spoken to anyone who specializes in the harmony side of things. I've had many conversations with people who talk about conflict. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. So welcome, Catherine. Thank you very much, Bev. Very happy to be talking with you. Fabulous. So before we get stuck into workplace harmony, perhaps uh, you could give our listeners a quick sense of uh, things that you have been thinking about in your career and what led you to be very focused on conflict resolution. Thanks, Bev. When I um, started my career, uh, I was a secondary school teacher and very much involved in sport and so had essentially all of my childhood come up through sport, playing, coaching, and exposed to really good coaches who, who knew how to build teams and uh, develop skills and create harmony within that team so that everybody could perform at their peak and perform well together as a team. And when I moved into the workplace, I found that this seemed to be really missing. And the expectations on people to continually develop their, their skills, continually do more work with less resources, uh, just kept sort of almost being thrown at people without any real consideration to them as people and what they needed to be able to deliver their best. And what I found is that when you focused a little bit more on the person and what they needed, they then did deliver to a higher standard. And I suppose through teaching, I was exposed to quite a bit of conflict with students and parents and just even between teachers. And what I noticed is that as a teacher, it's very easy to tell your students how they should behave and how they should be resolving differences between themselves. And yet as adults, I didn't see us doing that with each other. So there was a lot of um, interesting you know, things happened in that early part of my career that put me on this journey to working with people, wanting them to have great workplaces and being able to perform at their best, whatever, whatever that is, knowing that when they're doing that, they're significantly contributing to the success of the business and whoever they're serving within that business, whether it be students or customers or clients. Mm. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I love what you said about the, um, the individual focus that you have and that your teaching background has, has led you to this uh, focus on people and their unique needs. And I, I think there's a, a real shift in things as I've had conversations and in some of the research that we're seeing away from how to make teams perform better and rather how do we help the individuals within those teams get what they need so that as a collective they can perform better. Um, so that must be a really fascinating change for you to be seeing, um, assuming you agree that you're seeing the same shift. I'm not sure that I'm seeing the same shift, but for a long time I've been an advocate of there is an I in team. You know that favourite saying, there's no I in team, well there is. And unless each of us are um, able to perform to the best of our abilities, then the team doesn't perform. So yeah, I, I concur with what you're saying, but there, there is a shift happening in workplaces because I think people are demanding uh, a bit more attention now, actually. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think so, especially now that we have so many more people working from home who are in their own uh, unique settings and circumstances and so things that they might need to help them be successful um, are no longer necessarily provided to them in a consistent way. So uh, we, we're having to rethink as leaders what do people actually need to be successful whether they're in the office or in a home setting where they're now working <laughs> due to the you know the pandemic conditions that have been thrust up upon them. So well, well thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that introduction. And I also love that you have a sport background and I know that you've played many, um, many years of netball and have uh, excelled at that. And I'm sure that's obviously taught you much as well about human dynamics and human interaction as well as your teaching background. Uh, definitely, yes. So much um, has come from that experience that I think can be applied to the workplace and um, uh, you know, so much, that was my first uh, foray into being exposed to psychology and uh, just how the mind-body interacts, you know, being disciplined, being focused, um, what we can really achieve if we put our minds to it and set goals and um, how that can be supported through skill development. You know, so yes, yeah, so many things apply to the workplace. And, uh, you know, if you haven't been exposed to a disciplined um, sport or, or even music, uh, some other form of discipline as you've been growing up, then uh, it, it's not necessarily that easy to apply that same sort of focus and discipline to your workplace. Um, and yet it's not difficult. And, and I think with really good leadership and coaching, everybody can develop in that area. And uh, when we do that, it actually significantly contributes to the satisfaction that we have at work as well. So that's a, a good step into my next question for you then was for you to help us understand what is workplace harmony? And I think you've already given us a hint of what, what it is, but perhaps I'll, I'll ask you just to help our listeners understand how do you actually define workplace harmony? Well, it does tie in with that concept of satisfaction. However, I really want to balance that. We've been talking a lot about the individual and the individual's needs. But I want to contextualise that within the needs of the business as well, because what I have been seeing in my work is this, sh is this um, shift away from focus on business to the individual, and it's almost become a selfish pursuit. 
And that's been a downfall, I think, in terms of workplace harmony. Because to achieve workplace harmony, everybody has to behave, communicate, interact, and work in a professional manner, which means that we have to step beyond our own personal selves in some sense and not be focused necessarily on our, our needs, our opinions, our fears, you know, be unconsciously driven by, by those uh, personal internal things and focus more on what we are expected to deliver in a professional sense for, for the business. Um, so I think workplace harmony is achieved when we're all communicating and behaving and interacting, working professionally, and when people are prepared to hold each other, hold themselves to account for that and be held account for that. Um, which may sound very stringent, but it really works. When we, when we all know the expectations of us and when we're all supported, you know, being held account doesn't mean we're being disciplined. It means we're actually being given feedback and then supported to step up in whatever way is required. Um, and when I see that happening, I think that's when we have workplace culture. It's a common misconception to think that workplace harmony is about being nice and it's not about being nice. It's about being constructive and professional. Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. It doesn't sound to me like it's we all sit around and sing, you know, kumbaya around the fireplace and there's there's no conflict or there's there's no disagreement. It, it just seems like it's a way for us to have clarity and confidence in our um, collective contributions that leads to harmony within an organization. Fantastic. Yes, well said, Bev. I think any organisation that has no conflict is a dead organisation. We, you know, we need positive conflict, I call it, where we're able to share our professional opinions and ideas, be able to constructively debate them, give each other feedback, uh, all with this focus of being professional and working in the best interests of the business and serving the needs of the business rather than serving our own personal Nice. Yeah, I, I like that um, theme. And what it reminds me of is a conversation I had with um, a person by the name of Rita Kakati Shah. I don't know if you know her. She's based in New York City. And um, her thesis is around um, the decency quotient and how um, you know, being decent and actually treating each other with respect. And that doesn't mean you don't have disagreements with people, but being decent is actually a, a greater requirement than emotional intelligence in having a harmonious environment. So there's some interesting overlaps in, uh, in how you both approach the world. I, I don't know if you've heard of that um, idea before around decency. I, I really like it. I haven't heard of the decency quotient. What I have been concerned of is this growing rise about kindness, about needing to be kind in the workplace. And I disagree with that. It's not about being kind. It's about being courteous, respectful, decent, um, professional. And because kind has an emotional sort of attachment to it. Kind means we do what we think the other person is going to think is being kind. So um, whereas professionalism has boundaries, professionalism is pretty clear cut for me and if we don't have to pander to everybody else's feelings, you know, a lot of people say, well, they should know that that's hurtful and they expect us to be mind readers. And I think that gets us into a lot of trouble 
in workplaces. We're not mind readers. We can we can all be courteous. There is, there is a distinct definition of what courteous and decent and respectful is. And anything else that beyond that, you're expecting us to be mind readers and um, you know bend and sway to the to the nuances of each sort of a person. And uh, we're not we're not there for that. We're there to you know I mean there is a balance, isn't there? We've got to to provide um, the the safe workplace for our workers and remunerate them and um, you know other sort of benefits. But there's a there's another side to that equation there's our side where we've got to contribute as well. Yeah, and I, th I think leaders have a big responsibility in setting the tone around, you know, what harmony actually looks like at work. And um, so maybe we'll, let's dip our toes into the, the realm of um, whose responsibility is it to create harmony uh, at, at work? Everyone's. <laughs> we, we are the culture. We get to contribute to the culture. Very often when I talk to people, it's, it's almost like the culture is, is something that impacts on them and they have no control over or influence on, and it's all management's fault. And I say to each individual, you are the culture. You get to create the culture around you. And it's like a ripple effect. And if our leaders are demonstrating that culture, then it's much easier for each of us to be able to demonstrate that as well. But we don't have to wait for our leaders to demonstrate it. We can be our own leaders and we can set the culture that, that is, is acceptable in that professional sense um, around us. You know, imagine if everybody did that together. Yeah, so it's sounding to me like there's a bit of a symbiotic relationship between the individual's needs and the needs of the organization. So we need each other right like the organization needs the people to be showing up and being part of the culture and living and, and experiencing the culture but employees need organizations to be creating the the guidelines and the environment that is actually the culture that they ultimately want to see so um what's your opinion on that sort of interplay because there's a bit of tension there too isn't there between those two parts of the relationship there is, you're right, because each of us carry our own personal values and our personal opinions, which will influence how we do that and what sort of culture we want to see. And so it's really incumbent on the employer, the business to actually set that code of conduct, the guidelines, be very clear on what those expectations are, and then have, you know, and the best way to disseminate that is, is through all of the leaders. And uh, very often a lot of focus might be put on the, the role modeling by our very senior executives and somehow that just that loses translation as we, we go through the organization. So I've always been a proponent that the best coaches of sport should actually be with our youngest players. You know, by the time you get to represent your country, you're pretty skillful. You know, of course you need a good coach, but uh, you know, all the hard work's already been done. So I, I think similarly in an organisation, some of our best leaders should actually be at the coalface and um, developing um, our frontline staff. And wouldn't that be great if um, we were able to just reverse that concept a little bit and um, could have some interesting outcomes? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I always um, think about coaching and, and, you know, getting people ready to be um, part of workplaces needs to start before their first job 
it needs to start in the home. It needs to start at the very early years of schooling. Um, and I mean, this is just basic interpersonal relating skills, logic, decency, how you operate. Like it just, it seems like we, we don't really prepare people and then we put them into their first job and we expect them to show up and be, you know, highly performing contributors when we haven't given them any, any guardrails to, or, or guidelines to help them be successful. Yeah. So um, we've probably got a lot of work to do with pushing down the presence of leaders to the very early years of our, our society. So I mean, I'm glad that you raised that because I've thought that before. It does feel like we've got things a little bit the wrong way around. Mm. And one of those things which we're not often exposed to very early on is being held to account and being given feedback. And, and then, you know, you come into a workplace and sometimes people don't know how to give feedback and are too worried to hold people to account. So standards slip. And, uh, but when, when we do find that we have leaders who are um, concerned about standards of work performance and behaviour and giving feedback, people aren't ready to take that feedback constructively. I mean, I know there's a skill in how you give it, but there's also a skill in how you receive it and understand the benefits and the purpose of it. And uh, I agree with you, you know, in sport, in music, anything you do to a high level like that, you spend so much time training and skill developing and preparing, and then you compete or you present for a very short period. Well, at work, we go into work and we're just expected to already be at that high standard and just work. And the, the ratio of training to delivery is completely the opposite from the extracurricular sport, you know, sport and music and other activities we might do. Yeah, I agree with you. So, we probably have lots of people in our audience who don't actually know how to go about building um, harmony in their own workplaces. So maybe we can spend a few minutes on just some practical applications or things that you would advise your um, customers around. How do you actually start in on creating this kind of environment? Well, I'll go back to something you said about setting the expectations and that's I think where organizations need to start is setting the expectations. So have they got policies in place, codes of conduct, behavioral standards, work performance standards, and how all of those things are going to be managed. And once they're in place, and usually, you know, there should be buy-in from other people in the organization on how to build those policies, and then everybody should be trained in them. But they don't just sit on paper, locked away in a, you know, a computer somewhere. They actually have to be lived out every day. And I think that's some of the downfall that we have in organisations is that either there's a lack of expectation in terms of both written and, and then how it's delivered. Uh, and some people will have the written, but then that's it. There's, there's nothing else follows on from it. It's the foundation uh, of everything we do from, from then on. Mm. So I think that's a great starting point is having the expectations set and nothing wrong with having team meetings and actually drawing a line in the sand and saying, because I've actually done this with organisations. We sit down and we say, what sort of culture do you want? And they all go, oh, yeah, we want harmony. And, and, and then we narrow it down to, we peel the layers away and find out, well, what does that mean? What does it need? How are we going to demonstrate that? What do we all need to contribute? And everybody pretty much essentially agrees with what it is and what everyone needs to do about it. And so 
they're all quite relieved actually to have that meeting and get some clarity around it, put a line in the sand and then have a plan to be able to move forward with. Yeah, I think that's sometimes the hardest, though, is to just articulate what it is and have everyone agree to it. But once you've got that framed out, it's really just the living of it that needs to happen to give it substance and to give it meaning and to give it that lived experience as well as, you know, through things like your rituals and your habits and how you talk to each other, how you work together, how you develop your products together. So, mm. you know, I think that that's really great advice to go back and just set the expectation, you know, build the foundation and then add to it as you go with the lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen great many examples of that. It works very, very well. Yeah. So carry well, on. I was just going to, sorry, I was just going to say that uh, again, doing that is not enough. Everyone needs to take responsibility for it. I've seen some really good projects be put into places in businesses and then the person who was driving it leaves and then it sort of all falls away. This is something which everybody needs to own. And no matter who comes and goes from the business, it's collectively owned. And so it never gets lost and it continues to be built on and continues to be displayed every day. Yeah, it's, I guess it's, it's the difference between seeing it as a campaign versus something that's really like a blueprint of your DNA. And I think a lot of times companies will rally together for a rebranding or a resetting of their cultural values, but that's where it stops. It's, it's treated more as a, um, a one-time initiative than an enduring long-term uh, setting out of who you are, why you exist, and what value you're adding to the world. So, um, now, there's obviously, there are things related to it that can be more campaign style, um, but I think that the, the base setting of it needs to be something that really takes root and can grow over the long term with the organization. I agree. It's a journey, not a destination. And it needs to be given, I believe it needs to be given that prominence um, because if that is the focus of the business, I believe everything else falls into place. Everybody works well, you get great productivity, you get you know high levels of profit. But to focus on productivity and profit without culture and leadership, it falls over. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I've seen that and have spoken to many leaders who have lived through that themselves that can attest to that. And I think that's the other thing that is that I've noticed changing in our general world of work is more of the focus on people over profits and the understanding and embracing that, oh yes, engagement actually does lead to all these other benefits to the organization, not least of which is profitability. So um, I think that is firmly in the mindset now of progressive leaders and folks who actually believe in putting people first. Yes, well said, I agree. So Catherine, what happens in situations like the pandemic that we're living through, which is understandably been a chaotic time for many of us, um, not least of which for leaders who are trying to make hard decisions for their businesses with their people, um, suddenly workplace harmony is disrupted, I, I would imagine, through much of what's happened over the last six months. Um, what are you seeing and, and 
is it actually that that the harmony is what can create a, a sense of calm through a business if you've actually built it properly? Or does harmony just get put aside because there's something more pressing to worry about now? Like, what are you seeing in, in your customers and, and what's happening in the world of work? Well, without that really good foundation of culture and harmony in workplaces, when we come across a crisis, the cracks appear very quickly and become very deep very quickly. So it's, it's one of those things which requires an investment and a development straight away to weather any storm. Often it takes a crisis before organisations realise that they didn't have the culture to support the business and the staff through it. Um, so I'm always one for, for being proactive and saying you need to build rapport and relationships and culture right now and not wait for a conflict or a crisis to show the gaps. So you know, now, now more than ever with uh, some, you know, when, when we go through a crisis, our focus turns to our own individual needs and fear often abounds. And when we're fearful, we don't have control over what it is we're worried about. And so I think there can be a lot of work done through this period about leaders themselves and then supporting their staff to actually stay calm, take a deep breath and work out what is it that you actually do have control over. And with that, how do we make a plan going forward? And once we have some certainty around a plan and feel like we have some control, then we're going to see a restoration of that harmony and everyone um, feeling engaged again and working together again, rather than being separated by their own fears and everybody needing to, to get their own needs met, but not knowing how to. Yeah, it sounds like you uh, would be a supporter of the phrase, um, never let a crisis go to waste. And <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that before, but I heard that the other day. And um, it just seems to fit so well with how we're seeing this movement now towards emerging stronger after coming through the pandemic and actually taking a hard look at our businesses and our society and things that we thought were important that we really should reevaluate and use this chance to build something more beautiful and more amazing for ourselves and for society. So I, I don't know if that rings true for you as well. Certainly does. I've spoken with many professionals who have weathered the initial part and are now being able to look at this a little bit more holistically and go, okay, where are, where are our gaps? Why, why did we suffer this um, downfall, you know, in our culture or, how were we not prepared? And they're really using it as a great time to plan for their workforce planning, their you know task planning, where people are working, um, how they're working, what's really central and core to the business. So I'm yeah, I'm seeing some great outcomes from that, and I'm really seeing leaders step up in having more one-to-one -one communications with their staff and um, communicating more often because it's often the lack of communication, the absence of information that creates uncertainty and feeds the fear. Yeah, I'm really encouraged to hear you say that because I find that in our business, for example, 
we were not a remote organization to begin with. When the pandemic began, we moved to being fully remote. And I've actually found that the quality of my connection with my coworkers has improved since I was in the office with them. And not that I had a, a, a negative uh, um, interaction or a negative relationship with anybody. It's just that we've had this opportunity to, to actually get to know each other better. And we see each other's living rooms and kitchens and children and dogs. And there's some equalizer that happened that just made us realize that we're all human. And I think that has really helped us work together. And I'm sure you found the same with, with, you know, people that you've been on Zoom calls with over the last few months. It, it's amazing how you kind of have this sense of camaraderie and we're all in this together now, right? Yeah, yeah. And it really exposes us as humans, doesn't it? You know, I've been dealing with some high-level executives and, you know, talking with them on Zoom and they're, they're in their, you know, what I might call their weekend clothes. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're not hidden by this, this the suit or the, um, you know, the business uh, outfit, the business persona that they, they wanted to portray and uh, very easy to connect with, you know, and I think that's perhaps what you're saying. You, you've been seeing that we can connect um, and find we have so much more in common than what we thought we did previously. And, you know, when you have things in common that builds rapport and relationships. Yeah, it, it does. And it reminds me of um, Brené Brown's work. I don't know if you know um, Brené or if you've read much of her work, but um, she has this courageous leadership approach. And one of the things that she talks about is the armor that we bring to um, how we present ourselves as leaders. And we, we're, we're very armored in how we talk and we're guarded in how we behave. And as we've moved through this strange time, that armor has started to fall away because we are now having to be more vulnerable as leaders and we don't have all the answers and we're just, you know, one of many trying to figure this out. So um, now I think the opposite has happened too. I think some leaders have actually armored up more than they were before. Um, but I do find it encouraging that I think we've made a huge leap forward in, in leadership vulnerability and courage and groups of people where people really care about each other which yes. I think connects, which is why I was connected to your topic of workplace harmony, because I do, even though I see it as it's a collective feeling, it is the individual contributors that actually create that feeling, um, which is, I think, the, the basis of what we've talked about here today. Mm. Yes. I, I think some leaders have struggled to understand and, and people's vulnerability, their own the staff, the team who report into them, um, it's almost like you should, you should have more resilience than that. And, uh, you know, we don't talk about that in the workplace. And then he, he, all of a sudden, we're all vulnerable. And uh, it's connected us in, in new ways. And so long as that doesn't diminish our focus on the business and our professionalism, it just creates that, another beautiful layer of connection. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot to be positive about right now. And even though we are operating in this context of hardship around the world, globally, obviously the world is not doing well, but I think it is important to focus on the positive things that we're experiencing and, and using to build stronger organizations coming out of this. So um, thank you for all the work that you're doing to help us find our way. If an individual um, was to do one thing today to contribute to the harmony of their workplace, what would you think that they should do? The individual could contribute to workplace harmony around them 
by being really mindful of each word and action that they take today and what is driving that and why are they doing it? And is it actually constructively contributing to the outcome that is required for the business? Or is it actually diminishing somebody, even themselves in the process? That's a really strong note to end on. I, I really appreciate the, the individual accountability that we all have to not only make work great for ourselves, but for those around us and knowing that we don't operate in a vacuum and that everything we do, every word, every action has an impact on somebody else. And um, we get to workplace harmony by having that individual accountability. So that's a wonderful yeah. tip. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks, Bev. Well, I've loved our time together. I really hope that um, you will continue to be well where you are and um, just keep up the good work and keep us on the straight and narrow around workplace harmony. And thank you for your time today. It's been really lovely to get to know you. Thank you, Bev. I've enjoyed talking with you. Likewise, you stay well. And thank you for the work you're doing in providing access to information for people to be able to have great workplaces. Well Excellent. done. Thank you. Um, if our listeners wish to reach you, what's the best way for them to do that? If they do a Google search, workplace conflict resolution, we should pop up pretty much near the top. So it'd be great for people to um, type that in and take a look at our site. Perfect. And I will share all your other coordinates, like your LinkedIn profile, on our show notes. And um, we look forward to publishing the episode and, and uh, sharing your thoughts with the world. So thank you so much. Lovely. Thank you very much, Bev. Take care, Catherine. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care. Yeah.